0: Now what I want to do this evening is build a bridge between chapter 31 of our confession and chapter 32. Again, I won't be teaching through these, these three paragraphs, but I just want to build this bridge. So we're just going to look briefly at our confession, and then I want to go through 13 portions of Scripture under seven headings to build this bridge. I've entitled this lecture, uh, the, the less creative title, LBCF 32.1, part 1. Or the more creative title, uh, The Teaching of the New Testament Regarding the Day. What the New Testament teaches about the day. Notice in our Confession of Faith, chapter 32, paragraph 1. God has clearly appointed a day wherein He will judge the world in righteousness by Jesus Christ. Then in paragraph 3 of this chapter, As Christ would have us to be certainly persuaded that there shall be a day of judgment. Or we could say, Christ would have us to be certainly persuaded that there shall be a day of judgment. Both of these paragraphs are referring to What is the subject matter of this entire chapter, which is the or of the last judgment? The day is the day of the last judgment. Now, look back at chapter 31 at some paragraphs we've already studied. Chapter 31, paragraph 1 says, "...the bodies of men after death return to dust and see corruption. But their souls, which neither die nor sleep having an immortal subsistence, immediately returned to God who gave them. The souls of the righteous, being then made perfect in holiness, are received into paradise, where they are with Christ, and behold the face of God in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. And the souls of the wicked are cast into hell, where they remain in torment and utter darkness, reserved for the judgment of the great day." So the souls of the wicked, it says, are in hell waiting until the judgment of the great day, which in chapter 32 is the last judgment. talking about the same day. Paragraph 2 of chapter 31. At the last day, such of the saints as are found alive shall not sleep but be changed, and all the dead shall be raised up with the selfsame bodies and none other, although with different qualities, which shall be united again to their souls forever. So we learn here that the bodies of all of the dead are raised on the last day. That's when they're reunited to their souls. Now we, we could ask, this is talking about, uh, it seems to be generally maybe the saints, but what about the wicked? When will they be raised? What, well, the answer is the same time. The bodies of the wicked are going to be raised and united with their souls at the same time, we'll see in a minute uh, something we've already pointed out, that there is one resurrection. If their souls are in torment and utter darkness, reserved to the judgment of quote the great day and quote the last day, and if and if that last day is the day that their souls are reunited to their bodies, then would that not imply that the last day of 31 2 and the Last judgment or the, the great day of chapter 32 are the same day. That's the point. That was a question. That's, that's what it's saying. They're the same day. The last judgment, the resurrection of bodies, last day, last judgment, same day. Now look at chapter 32, paragraph 3. As Christ would have us to be certainly persuaded that there shall be a day of judgment both to deter all men from sin and for the greater consolation of the godly in their adversity, so will He have the day unknown to men that they may shake off all carnal security and be always watchful because they know not at what hour the Lord will come and may ever be prepared to say, Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Amen. That seems to indicate that this day, the last day, the day of the judgment, is also the day the Lord will come. Same day. The day that Christ returns is the last day, which is the day of judgment. Now, I want to show you that this is exactly what the Bible teaches about the sequence of those events. We... uh, Maybe last week, a couple weeks ago, I made a reference to how our confession speaks of eschatology really uh, focusing primarily on us getting ourselves prepared for what's going to happen. And the emphasis is not what most people want to emphasize. When will it happen and what will be the events? And, and Christ is going to come down and go up and come down and go up and we're going to go up and come down. and you know what, what's it, That's what everybody wants to know, right? But I think the confession does actually address some of that stuff. And again, I want to show you that the Scriptures actually teach that all of these events, the return of Christ, the resurrection of the dead, and the final judgment, are all the same day. Now, what I want to do, the way I want to do this is just read through Scripture texts, and I'm going to point I'm going to read it, I'm going to say, now, what, what do we learn here? What does it say? What does it say? What does it say? Notice, noticing various things that are in these texts. And what we're going to we'll find out is a lot of these texts, they have overlap And as we see them overlap, we're going to see they're all talking about the same thing. So I've grouped these texts into seven categories of emphasis. And I was blessed, again, I mentioned my creativity earlier, blessed with creativity this week to come up with seven R words. Seven the return of Christ, the renewal of creation, the resurrection of the dead, the resolution of our sanctification, the renovation of our bodies, the recompense of the wicked, the ruin of death and Satan. Again, the point is, these all happen at the same time, same, same day. Number one, the return of Christ. The Bible teaches that the man Christ Jesus, who was born of Mary, who walked the earth was crucified, dead, buried, raised from the dead on the third day, who ascended into the heavens, will return in the same way in which he went. Christ will return. You don't have to turn to these two. John fourteen three. Jesus said, If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, and will take you to Myself, that where I am you may be also. In Acts chapter 1, verse 11, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw Him go into heaven. Now turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 3. And we'll look at Acts chapter 3 verse 21. Peter is preaching. And Peter says speaking of Christ, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. Now this text doesn't explicitly mention the day, but what does it teach us? This text teaches us Jesus Christ is presently in a place, a created place with spatial dimensions that we call heaven. He has a physical human body. That physical human body is somewhere in the created universe at this very moment. We call that place heaven. Uh, where, Where is heaven? Wherever Christ is right now. Where's Christ right now? He's in heaven. He's in heaven. We also learn from this verse that there is a time of restoring all things. The word for restore here means to put a broken bone back into place. There is a time when everything is going to be put back into place. And Peter says, even the prophets of old foretold this. This has always been preached and known among the people of God. And this passage also teaches that Jesus Christ will remain in heaven until that prophesied event, the restoration of all things. So in light of the clear teaching that He will in fact return, and the plainest meaning of the words here, this passage teaches that Christ's return is going to coincide with the time for restoring all things. When He returns, it's the time for restoring all things. When there is a restoration of all things, that's when Christ returns. Until then... He's in heaven, okay? All right, second heading, the renewal of creation. Now, this is, you'll see, I've tried to put these in an order that somehow keeps them connected. Closely associated with that last passage is the renewal of creation. Now, if I wanted to keep ours and also use that same language, I could have said the restoration of all things. But the renewal of creation, turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 to 13. Same man speaking, writing. 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, According to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now there are some who would say that this language about the heavenly bodies dissolving and being burned up, that this is merely a prophetic idiom for the collapse of of human kingdoms, to which I would agree that is used throughout the Old Testament to describe the rising and falling of human kingdoms. But notice the train of thought here. The heavens will pass away with the roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. The heavens will be set on fire and dissolved. The heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But we are waiting new heavens and a new earth. If this passage is only referring to the fact that human kingdoms are going to fall, then why would that be put in contrast with new heavens and a new earth? I would say the answer is, that the biblical language of cosmic upheaval to describe the collapsing of human kingdoms is useful because the collapsing of human kingdoms are all small foreshadowings of the final collapse of the entire created order in order to give way to a new heavens and a new earth. It doesn't. In other words, you don't have to pick one or the other. Well, that's not talking about that. No, no it kind of is. If it's not talking about that, it's at least a foreshadowing. It's just like the judgment. And so what do we learn from this passage? Well, there, there will come a final destructive end to the present cosmic order. This destruction is in order to give way to the new heavens and the new earth. So the restoration of all things mentioned by Peter in Acts 3 is what Peter's talking about here. That is going to dissolve and burn away, and this is going to come in. All things will be set back, put back into place. And notice that Peter refers to this day as both the day of the Lord and the day of god now why is that because this will be the day of the final universal showcase of the lord's mighty power when all creation will see this god in full in the fullest display imaginable the final consummation of all redemption, the restoration of all things lost in the fall will happen on this day. Again, the renewal of creation is what we're talking about here. Now turn to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19. Again, this heading is The Renewal of Creation... Matthew 19, verse 28, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, in this passage, the ESV has this, this phrase, the new world. The term is means literally the new birth or the new beginning. Some of you might have in the regeneration. The only other time this word is used is in the book of Titus, and there it's translated regeneration. It refers to a renovation or a restoration, a a brand new beginning. In other words, it's the same event referred to by Peter in Acts 3, restoration of all things, and in 2 Peter 3, a restoration, a renewal. Now what do we learn from this passage? Again, there will be a regeneration. There will be a restoration. There will be a renewal, a new beginning. But we also see here that one staple of that new world is that the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne and execute judgment. That's a staple of that that moment, this, this picture. So let's put together what we've seen so far. Jesus Christ is presently in a place called heaven. Jesus Christ will remain in heaven until the restoration of all things. There will come a final destructive end to the present cosmic order in order to give way to the new heavens and new earth. And one staple of that new world is that the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne. That's the first two points the return of Christ, the renewal of creation. All right, heading number three the resurrection of the dead resurrection of the dead. And we talked about this last Lord's Day evening. Last, Last week we looked at John chapter 5. You don't have to turn. John 5 28. Jesus says, Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out. All in the tombs hear His voice come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life those who have done evil to the resurrection of Judgment. An hour, single hour, one event, everybody in the tombs, good or evil, hear the voice, they come out. Resurrection. Acts 24 15. There will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. One general resurrection. Same event for all men. The reason I say this is because if we read a text that uh, describes only the resurrection of the righteous, we don't then say, well, that's not talking about the wicked, that's talking about the righteous. Well, it might be, but everybody's raised at the same time. All in the tombs. Hear His voice and come out. One general resurrection. Now turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 and 23. And I want you to notice how this passage, these two verses, bring together the return of Christ, which was heading number one, and here now the resurrection of the dead, heading number three. 1 Corinthians 15, 22, and 23. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at His coming those who belong to Christ." Now again, Paul's not talking about the wicked. His emphasis is on the the righteous. But the, the resurrection of the righteous coincides with the resurrection of the wicked. We're just setting them aside for now. Now what do we learn? Those who belong to Christ will be made alive. When? At His coming. When Christ returns, the dead come out. The resurrection of the dead coincides with the return of Christ. All right. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 15 to 17. 1 Thessalonians 4:15 to 17. Now notice again, when Christ descends with a cry of command, the dead will raise. What did Christ Himself say? An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear the voice and come out. They will hear His voice and come out. Who will come out? The good and the evil. So with regard to the resurrection of the dead... There will be one moment when all of the dead will rise, both good and evil. One general resurrection of all men. The moment that that happens will be the return or the descent of Christ from heaven. And how will He come? In the same way in which He went, Acts one eleven. They all coincide, these events, the return of Christ, resurrection of the dead. Now, again, let's, let's make some other connections Jesus Christ is presently in a place called heaven. Jesus Christ will remain in heaven until the restoration of all things. He will then return in the same way in which he went, descending from heaven. And the descent of Christ from heaven and his cry of command will result in the resurrection of all men and the restoration of all things. It all happens when Christ returns. That's the fourth heading. Number, or that's number three, rather. Number four is the resolution of our sanctification. The resolution of our sanctification. Resolution, I just by that I mean just the finality of it, the completion of it. It comes to its resolution. The work of our being made into the image of Christ will finally be resolved. Now this morning we saw this in 1 Corinthians 1, 7 and 8. You are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. The day of our Lord Jesus is the day which we will see God's work in us come to its conclusion. He will sustain us to the end. He will maintain His work in us until that day. The assumption is that on that day when He returns, that work is finished. That's what we got there. But turn to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, again, the the heading is the resolution of our sanctification. When will we be finally, fully, and completely made to be like Christ? 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. Now again, the goal of sanctification is to be made like Christ, to be like Him. According to this text, when will we be like Him? When will the work be finished? When will we be completely conformed into the image of the Son of God? Answer, when He appears. When he is made visible. That's what the word means. Now we could say, when will this happen? When will he be made visible? We'll look up just a few verses to chapter 2, verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. When will he appear at his coming? When will we be like him at his coming? When will sanctification see its final resolution at the coming of Christ? The return of Christ will see the final resolution of our sanctification. Number five, the renovation of our bodies. The renovation of our bodies. Inseparable from the resolution of our sanctification is the renovation of our bodies. We typically use the word glorification. That starts with a G and not an R. So I'm saying the renovation of our bodies. Sanctification is a term that we usually only associate with the spiritual transformation, while glorification we associate with the total package, which would be spiritual sanctification, and along with that, the renovation. Of our bodies, our bodies being made perfect and then reunited to those perfect spirits. So then, when will our bodies undergo this renovation? Turn to Colossians 3 4. Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Now, we have a tendency to read this because we often refer to heaven as glory. You know, I'm going to glory, to glory land. What What we read is when Christ appears, then we will appear with Him in heaven. But that's not what's being said here. The idea here is that there will be a glory about you in addition to that glory that is about Him. Notice he says, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also, in a, you in addition to what? In addition to Him. He comes in glory and you also will have a glory. The, uh, the ASV, the American Standard Version, not the New American Standard, the Old American Standard, translates it this way. Then shall ye also with Him be manifested In glory, shown forth, having your own glory about you. That's glorification. John Gill commenting on this text says, They shall appear in glory too, with a glory on their bodies, which will be raised in glory like unto the glorious body of Christ. Glorified or renovated bodies. That's what it's talking about, our glorification. Now, from this verse, when will this happen? Well, our bodies will be renovated. When Christ appears. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with Him. We could say appear with Him glorified. When He appears, when's He going to appear? 1 John two twenty-eight. At His coming. That's when He will appear. All right. Romans chapter 8. The renovation of our bodies. Romans chapter 8 beginning in verse 18. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us, or you might have revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we, await, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now here in this passage, there are two things that are being associated There is the revealing of the sons of God in glory, and then there is the release of creation from its bondage to corruption. Verse 23 uses this phrase the redemption of our bodies. That would be another R word. The redemption of our bodies, the renovation of our bodies. That in this passage, that is synonymous with the revealing of the sons of God and the glory of the children of God. It's the same idea. The renovation of our bodies. Now, according to this text, when will the renovation of our bodies take place? The answer is, it will take place in connection with all creation being set free from bondage to corruption which is the restoration of all things or the renewal of creation that was number 2 that event the renewal of all things and the redemption of our bodies coincide they go together all right now turn back to 1st corinthians chapter 15 1st corinthians 15 Verses 52 through 55. It starts in the middle of a sentence, but I just want to get in this, this reference to the trumpet. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Old oh death, where is your victory? Old oh death, where is your sting? Now the bulk of this portion is dealing with what we're calling the renovation of our bodies. The perishable puts on imperishable. The mortal puts on immortality. But it's also connected with this idea of the last trumpet. Where else have we seen the language of the last trumpet? We saw that in 1 Thessalonians 4.16. The Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. In other words, now we're learning the renovation of our bodies coincides with number three, the resurrection from the dead, and number one, the return of Christ. They go together. Number three, number one, number five, all in this portion. Now, I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to restate and connect all these things. Put, Put it all together. Christ is presently in a place called heaven. He will remain in heaven until the restoration of all things, or the renewal of creation. The descent of Christ from heaven and His cry of command will result in the resurrection of all men, the final resolution of our sanctification, and the renovation of our bodies. The present cosmic order will be set free from its bondage to corruption, giving way to the new heavens and the new earth. That's what we've seen so far. Now, Back to verses 54 and 55 of 1 Corinthians 15. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, in other words, when our bodies are renovated at the return of Christ, at the resurrection of the dead, at the resolution of our sanctification, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sin? Now this is going to come back into play at the last point. But notice here, that the time of the resurrection and the renovation of our bodies is the time when that statement is fulfilled, death is swallowed up in victory. That those also coincide. In other words, death meets its final end at the return of Christ and the resurrection of the dead and the resolution of our sanctification and the renovation of our bodies and the renewal of creation. I'm saying that preemptively. We'll see it again on the last point. Sixth heading sixth heading that was the renovation of our bodies i think sixth heading the recompense of the wicked the recompense of the wicked this is the sixth category turn to 1st Thessalonians 5 1st Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 1 to 3 We're talking about the recompense of the wicked. Here, the language is the sudden destruction. We see that this sudden destruction of the wicked comes on the day of the Lord. Alright, turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Verses 6-10. through 10. God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, Now here we see that God will repay with affliction those who afflict the saints. The Lord Jesus will inflict vengeance on the wicked. The wicked will suffer eternal destruction. All of these we would put under the heading of the recompense of the wicked. When will these things happen? This passage says, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels. Also, when the Lord Jesus comes to be glorified in His saints and marveled at among all who believe. What do we learn here? When Christ returns, He will inflict vengeance in the form of eternal destruction. In other words, the recompense of the wicked takes place at Christ's return. He's coming to inflict vengeance. Alright, Matthew chapter 25. Turn there. Matthew 25 verse 46. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now we're not talking necessarily about the righteous. We're just talking about the The wicked, those who go into eternal punishment, the recompense upon the wicked is described there. Interestingly, we see that the the blessedness that comes upon the righteous takes place at the same time. But we're just focusing on the recompense of the wicked. Now, when will that happen? Go back to the beginning of the, the story. Verses 31 to 33. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all His angels with Him, Then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on the left. What do we learn from this text? The wicked will be sent away to suffer eternal destruction when Christ comes with His angels. The judgment And the recompense that comes upon the wicked takes place when Christ returns. And we also see here that He will render this judgment from where? His glorious throne. Now where else have we seen a reference to His glorious throne? Matthew 19, 28. Truly I say to you in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. I'm, what he's saying, I'm going to sit on a glorious throne judging. You're going to sit on a glorious throne judging. We're going to sit on thrones judging. The judging and the, the seating of Christ on this throne take place at the same time. The final decree of damnation upon the wicked, or the recompense of the wicked, the restoration of all things. There we had that reference to the regeneration in Matthew 19. And the glorious enthronement of Christ are concurrent events. They all go together. See that? What else is concurrent with these events that we've seen so far? The return of Christ, the resurrection of the dead, the resolution of our sanctification, the renovation of our bodies. They all go together. Last heading, number seven, the ruin of death and Satan the ruin of death and Satan. We just saw, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass that a saying the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. In other words, when the renovation of our bodies comes, then death is swallowed up in victory. All right, turn to Revelation chapter 20. And I'm going to dare to use what is clearly uh, prophetic and apocalyptic imagery to show how these things actually go together. When you put all these things together, the prophetic imagery and symbolism really becomes far more clear. Revelation chapter 20 verses 11 to 15. Then I saw a great white throne and Him who was seated on it. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now this passage, you can see it, it contains a lot of the things we've already covered. There is the setting up of a throne, which we saw in Matthew 19, coincides with the restoration of all things. We saw that in Matthew 25, there was a setting up of a throne and also the gathering of all people before that throne. Here we just saw the dead, great and small, gathered before the throne. When do all these things happen? At Christ's return. We've already showed that. We also see here, well, again, the dead and great standing before the throne. I said that. All the dead given up. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. All of the dead, great and small. What is that? That's the resurrection of the dead. The dead have been raised and brought to the judgment. We've already seen that that coincides, 1 Corinthians 15, with the coming of Christ. It coincides, John 5, with the voice of Christ, the cry of command. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, the trumpet of God. The trumpet of God is the last trumpet of 1 Corinthians 15, 52. So, you see there, death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire, the ruin of Death. The death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The second death. Ruin. And then, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Recompense. The ruin of death. The recompense of the wicked. Same event. Same time. Now we would ask, what about the devil? You said the ruin of death and the devil. Well, look just before this in, chap- in verse 10 of chapter 20. The devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, this is going to just follow me here. We just saw that the devil was thrown into the lake of fire. When will the devil, the chief of the fallen angels, be cast into the lake of fire, into hell? The The demons in Matthew 28 refer to it as the time. Have you come to torment us before the time? They knew it's coming. The devil knows it's coming. Here we just saw the devil has met that time. When is it? 2 Peter 2 4 says, God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. Just like people, until the judgment. Jude verse 6, The angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. There's only one judgment. That's this judgment. These texts imply that the fallen angels will be judged in the judgment of the great day. The final judgment. And I believe that it's safe to assume that Satan himself is going to endure the same judgment of the same day. So when we see Satan being cast into the lake of fire, that's the same recompense upon him that comes upon all of the fallen angels and upon all of the wicked. In other words, the casting of Satan into the lake of fire is concurrent with the casting of death and Hades into the lake of fire, which is concurrent with the final judgment and the recompense of the wicked, since the Bible only ever mentions one day, the day of the Lord, the day of God. First Corinthians 6, 2 and 3. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? The world, angels, same judgment. Who's gonna judge the who's gonna judge the angels in the world? The saints. Who's going to sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel? You who have followed me, Christ's people, sitting with Him in judgment. Now, again, when, does, when will all this take place? Now here I'm going to, I'm going to put my neck out and, and, and use a text that can go several ways. <clears throat> when will this take place? Second 2 Thessalonians 2.8 Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of His mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of His coming. Now, regardless of who the lawless one is, I think we can safely say, since he's a lawless one, that he will go the way of all of those who surround the camp of the saints in the beloved city, who are consumed by fire, along with the casting of Satan into the lake of fire, which fiery breath will come forth from the mouth of Christ at the appearing of His coming. In other words, when does all this happen? When Christ returns the return of Christ. And this must be true again because Paul has already said in the same epistle, 2 Thessalonians, that God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God. That is to say, the ruin of death and Satan... Along with all of God's enemies, the recompense of the wicked takes place at the return of Christ. Now, if we want to connect this to the, uh, the re- renewal of creation, we could just keep reading into Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. When all of those things pass away, just like Peter said in 2 Peter 3, then the new heavens and the new earth are brought in. The creation, the renewal of creation, it all happens in the same uh, general Event, I'll put it that way. In conclusion, the return of Christ, the renewal of creation, the resurrection of the dead, the resolution of our sanctification, the renovation of our bodies, the recompense of the wicked, the ruin of death and Satan all take place at the same time. Same event. Now, if you want to say, well, on that day, well, what time do we get up? Do we start at 9? Does the judgment go to 10.30? It all happens at the same time, same event, same event. We'll put it that way. Or we could say it this way. The renewal of creation, the resurrection of the dead, the resolution of our sanctification, the renovation of our bodies, the recompense of the wicked, the ruin of death and Satan all take place when Christ returns. That is the day, the climactic event is the return of Christ. He brings with Him all of these things. It's all come, it all comes to a climax in Him. A couple of takeaways from this. <clears throat> you said that clock was 30 minutes fast? Um, slow. Uh, number one, our great hope is the return of Christ. That's our hope. All that we await is bottled up in that one singular event. Prophecy conferences galore happen. What's the next thing on the, the prophetic timeline? One thing. Christ's return. That's what we're waiting for. One event. That will bring with it everything else. All these things are bottled up in that one event. The greatest of them all will be to see His face. Now we see dimly, but then we will see face to face. That's why the church prays, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I couldn't help but think this morning as we were going about the Lord's Supper, of the, the way the, the covenanters would say farewell to things as they were going to the stake. But I, and I couldn't help but think of, of saying, farewell, sweet faith. Faith is a good grace. Faith carries us through. Faith is, th- this is what overcomes the world, our faith. But there will be a time when we say, farewell faith, you've been good, but now I move on to sight, I will see, and we'll put that aside. That's what we're waiting for, the return of Christ. Number two, we see here, eschatological systems clearly refuted. I don't necessarily enjoy being polemical against those who are true brothers, especially in matters like eschatology, which are, are certainly not matters of supreme importance. They're, they're not matters necessarily worthy of division in themselves. However, of the basically two overarching approaches to the end times that center around the 1,000 years of Revelation 20, which is called the millennium, based on the New Testament, any form of premillennialism is simply not possible. It's not there. The idea that Christ will return to this earth, that the fundamental constitution of creation itself will remain the same, that Christ will rule for a thousand years, generations of a mixed multitude of men on the earth prior to the resurrection, prior to the judgment, prior to the new heavens and the new earth, is simply not the teaching of the New Testament. It's not, that's not what happens. When he comes back, it's over, period. We're not waiting for Christ to return and set up a kingdom. He already did that. He said that many times. He's already done that. We're not waiting for Christ to t- return and necessarily triumph over his enemies. He's already done that. We're waiting for him to return and bring to consummation the things that he's already accomplished. So I'll close with this from the Lord Himself in Luke chapter 12. You just listen. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, He will dress Himself for service and have them recline at table, and He will come and serve them. If He comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not Expect. Let's pray.